Well, good morning again, everybody. We are continuing on in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, today. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you because it's not going to be up there today. So um, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Um, and as we read these verses... I want you to keep in mind what we talked about last week, right? Darkness to light. We're no longer in darkness and we're in light. And I want you to keep that in mind because Paul's first word in verse 15 is, therefore. And that's what he's saying. Because of who you are now, do this and act this way. So that's what paints our idea of these next five, six verses or so. Let's read them. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, 15 through 21. It reads, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's dive into this. Number one on your note sheets there, wise versus unwise. Wise versus unwise. So he begins this, this paragraph, right, by saying, okay, because you are no longer in darkness, because you are supposed to be light... Here's what you should do. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. And the nice thing is he doesn't just leave it there. He kind of explains what wisdom looks like. How to walk like that. Because if we are left to our own devices, we're going to fail miserably. I think about uh, perhaps the, the time, I mean, my dad might disagree with the statement that I'm about to make, but I think the time in my own mind when I was the most unwise, and that's what I'm saying, he might go, no, no, you forgot about this time. <laughs> I think the time that I was most unwise and leaned hardest on my own understanding was a day between my junior, my, excuse me, my freshman and sophomore year of college when my parents begged me not to go down to my youth group event which was, it was an all-nighter, and they said, listen, I'm telling you, it's not a good idea. And I said, I'm one of the leaders. If I don't go, that means they have to deny six to eight of the boys that were supposed to be there because you have to have a certain amount of leaders to kids. So I said, I, I have to go. I told them I was going to be there. If I don't go, one, I'm not, not a man of my word, and if I'm anything, I try to be a man of my word, which gets me in more trouble than I'd like to admit. And then these other kids won't be able to go. So I have to go. And I went. And for the next two months after that, I couldn't walk because I tore everything in my right ankle. And to this day, I still feel the repercussions of that one decision in one moment in time. I leaned on my own understanding because I said, and logically, right, can, can you give me this? Logically, my train of thought makes sense, right? The problem is, wisdom isn't always logical. And so when we're left to our own devices, a lot of the times we're going to be unwise. So Paul says, listen here, let me also tell you 
how to be wise. Let me, let me put these two things against each other. So he begins by saying, right, not as unwise men, but as wise. And then in verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Wisdom is using the most of your time. I fall on both sides of this. I'm a massive procrastinator. I always have been. I wait till the last minute to do things. I like to tell myself I work better under pressure, which is true because I don't allow myself to work better when there's not pressure. I've trained myself to do better at the last second than to plan beforehand. But at the same time, I get very frustrated with people that I say, you're a time waster. Because I don't view my procrastination as wasting time. I'm doing things I want to do. But I get very frustrated when people aren't on time to things. I get very frustrated when, I mean, we've talked about my wife's um, uh, uh, French toast eating habits. That frustrates the crap out of me sometimes. Today, for instance... I haven't even begun the story yet. Today, for instance, <laughs> I make her French toast. I don't eat it much anymore. Being a diabetic, uh, bread with vanilla and cinnamon is generally not the best idea. So I usually don't eat it anymore. So I made her French toast, and it's sitting there while I'm cooking my eggs. And it's like 8.10. We have to be over here by 8.45. And Maddie's just sitting there on her phone, doing nothing wrong. Let me Let me... Make that very clear. And I turn to her and I go, honey, I understand you're waiting for me to be done because we eat together, right? I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the table. That's, that's what we do. Uh, I mean, not 100% of the time, but like 95% of the time, we eat at the table. So she's waiting for me, which is great, but I'm sitting there, sta well, standing there going, she could at least be cutting it since that takes her 15 minutes anyway. I turned to my wife and I said, Maddie, dear, do you want to cut it? And she goes, yeah, in a minute. I'd like to say something. She did not cut her French toast then. And we were over here at 845. Because my understanding is not always the best, as much as I think it might be. So I fall on both sides of this time thing, right? I want people to be on time and do things in a timely manner as long as it is my time, not theirs. And while this is talking about time, he says, use the most of your time. Use it wisely because the days are evil. Paul's not talking about procrastination here. Paul's not talking about being to church on time. Paul is not talking about cutting your French toast in a timely manner. Paul is saying, you have a job to do. Do it. The days are evil. Don't waste time. Your job and my job is to share Christ, right? We talked about it last week. You are no longer darkness. You are light. Be a light. Don't waste your time. That's what Paul is saying here. And he says, the days are evil. Church, I'm here to tell you that today, the days are still evil. They have been evil since the moment that Eve sinned, since the moment that Adam sinned. They have been evil. Evil, however, is more prevalent today than it has ever been. I'm not saying it's stronger. I'm not saying that it's worse necessarily, although in some cases I believe that it is. The Bible tells us that the evil will get worse as time goes on. I'm saying it's more prevalent. 
Why? Because you have satellite TV. Because you have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Because you have things... Before, it used to take days, weeks, months for information to spread. Now, it takes seconds. It means that evil spreads at a far faster rate than it ever has. Here's the great thing, though. If you use your time wisely, it also means that the light can spread at a faster rate than it ever has in history. I can talk to somebody a million miles away. I don't, but I could. Use your time wisely. I'm not saying don't rest. Jesus rested. There were multiple times when he was like, I got to leave you guys behind. You're annoying me, and I'm tired. And he would go off on his own, right? I'm not saying don't rest. I am saying use your time wisely and spread the gospel wherever you go. That's what wisdom is. And then he continues on in verse 17, and he says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wisdom is understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's the basic definition. There is the spiritual gift of wisdom. And its basic definition is understanding the will of the Lord. All of us can have that. There's two types of the will of God. There is the general will of God, which is outlined for every believer in this book. We all share the general will of God to become more Christ-like, to be sanctified, and to share the gospel. That is the will of God on every believer's life. Now, you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or something like that, but to share Christ wherever you go. That is the general will of God. And then there is the specific will of God. The specific will of God for me has been to be your pastor for about the past three years and Lord willing for the next 40 after this one. Right? That is not your will. That is not God's will for you. That's God's will for me. To understand the will of God in your life is wisdom. Start with the basics. I've had a lot of people come and ask me because for better or for worse, I've always had a general understanding of what God wanted me to do. That doesn't mean I always followed it, but I always had a general understanding. And so when I was in college and such, I would have a lot of my friends and, and such come up to me and be like, how do you know? How do I know? Here's the pat answer. If you don't know what the will of God, the, the specific will of God for your life is right now, here's how you find out. Do what he has asked you to do in the place he has asked you to do it. He has placed you in this area, whether you live in New Milford, Great Bend, Halstead, Scranton area, wherever, right? He has placed you there. He has given you a job. Do it. And while you are doing that, fulfill the general will of God. And you'll find that the specific will of God kind of just starts to fit its way in. Moment by moment, little by little. I liken it back to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Did Adam know he needed another person with him? No, he didn't. God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper with him, for him. Adam was doing what God asked him to do. Name the animals, tend the garden. 
in the place he asked him to do it, in the Garden of Eden. And then God started to work. If you want to know the will of God for your life, start doing the general will and do what he's asked you to do in the place he's asked you to do it. We think so much about the future that we miss the now. Nowhere does God ask you to think about the future. He asks you to deal with the now. And then in verse 18, we read, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, which when I first read this passage when I was, you know, 16, I was like, dissipation, that's not a real word. It is. It's basically debauchery, right? Wrongdoing. But be filled with the Spirit. Time out. Time out. We're Baptists. We don't fill with the Spirit here. That's that Pentecostal stuff. We don't do that around here. You bet we do do that around here. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues or healing or miracles or anything like that. Here's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. On the moment of your salvation, you're a cup, right? A lot of you have cups in here right now. So, you're a cup. At the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and he fills you to the brim. That happens at your salvation, okay? That is the initial filling or indwelling of the Spirit. And that never leaves. This filling of the Spirit that he's talking about here, though, is like if God came along with a five-gallon bucket filled to the brim with water and just dumped it all over your cup. It's going everywhere, this water. You can't contain it anymore. It's going everywhere. That's what the filling of the Spirit is like. When God comes upon you, when the Spirit comes upon you and fills you, overflowing, and you have to share, it can look various ways. It usually involves whatever your gifting is, but that's what being filled with the Spirit is. And Paul says, listen, don't get drunk with wine. Now, he's talking about alcohol there, but he's also saying, in general, do not be filled with the things of this world. They won't fill you anyway. Be filled with the Spirit instead. Be outflowing, overflowing with this Spirit. Because you're no longer darkness, you are light. And that's what walking as a wise person looks like. Then he continues on. So number one, there was wise versus unwise. Number two is dealing with each other. Now you're going to say, Pastor, this section doesn't quite seem like you're talking much about dealing with each other. And you're right. Because as I rehearsed this and practiced it and such, it, the next couple minutes of the sermon began to morph and change. But I had already printed out all of the note sheets and such, so I didn't do it again. We are talking a little bit about dealing with each other here, so I don't want to make it seem like we're not going to talk about that. But it is just a little bit different from how, when I was first going over the passage, I envisioned it going, which is fine, because I like to think that God's the one who directs, and if he's going to change what I have to say, so be it. So, he begins there in verse 19. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. You are supposed to sing to and with each other. Music throughout scripture is very important. We have an entire book. It is the longest book in your Bible that is full of songs. We call it psalms. Music was always important to God. It's important to us too because of that. Music has a way of changing your disposition, of changing how you feel, of putting your mind in the right or the wrong set. 
And we are supposed to sing to and with each other. And we do it on Sunday morning. I don't know if you've noticed or not. I am very particular about what songs we sing on Sunday morning. Uh, I don't choose the opening hymn usually. That's Aunt Lori, but I trust her to pick the uh, songs that are not theologically unsound, right? But for the, quote, worship set, right, when it's usually Maddie and I, I'm very particular because what we sing is extremely important. And we sing some songs like, How Great Is Our God. And you think of the words to that, How Great Is Our God, Sing With Me. How Great Is Our God. That is me and Maddie telling you, Sing with us. Let's all sing together. How great is our God? It's a more horizontal form of worship. We're not worshiping ourselves. We're still worshiping God. But it's a call to worship. Versus a song such as Good, Good Father, where we say, God, you are a good, good father. That's an incredibly vertical. I can sing that alone. God, you're a good, good father. It doesn't matter if you're here or not. It's kind of weird if I go, how great is our God, sing with me, and I'm all alone, right? Who am I singing with? I can do it, but I'm all alone. We should be singing to and with each other. I should be calling you to worship. You should be calling me to worship. I might be the, quote, worship leader, but we're all worshipers. We're all worshiping together the same God. And God says to sing. Now, here's the great thing. Right, Because he continues on there in verse 19, he says, and making melody with your heart. Some of us don't have a good singing voice. That's okay. You are still supposed to sing. This is not an excuse for you to not let it come out of your mouth at all. But what this is saying is, where your heart is matters far more than the words coming out of your mouth. Because I can sing, well, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, but if I don't think it right here, doesn't matter. The words that are coming out of my mouth no longer matter to him because he sees the heart. He understands. And so we are supposed to make melody in our hearts to God as well. It's not just supposed to be a vocal thing that we all hear. It's supposed to be a spiritual thing that sends up to God. Remember two weeks ago? What does your life smell like? What is the aroma that you're giving off? That's what comes from your heart. And Paul continues that idea here when he says make melody in your heart. It's something that we are supposed to do together. Why? There are some days when I am up here leading worship, and it is like a brick wall has been built completely around my heart. It's encased. It's literally like a wall. You can almost feel it sometimes. And I'm going, God, what is happening? I haven't had a bad day. I, haven't, I don't have any reason to have this wall up right now, God. The reason that we sing together is because in those times when my heart is just it's a, it's a, it's closed off, I hear you guys singing as well. And I go, hmm. And that wall starts to come down. You help me. I help you. Because there are days, I know there are days, when you guys have those same walls around your hearts. It happens. And we need each other to help break those walls down. Christians were never supposed to be alone. We were always supposed to be together in a body. And that's why it's so important that we are singing and making, singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs, right, to each other. Collectively as a group. 
And then he says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you should be giving thanks. Now, you need to be giving thanks in the good and the bad. There, there's no um, uh, caveats on this, right? There's no exceptions. Give thanks in all things. It can be easy to give thanks when things are going good. God, I got that bonus at work. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, that's great. Do you thank him when you don't get it, when you get passed over for a promotion? And you might be sitting there because as I was reading this as well, I went, well, God, how am I supposed to give thanks for something that there's no thanks in? There are times when I'm trying to give thanks and I don't know what to say. You've got to start at the simplest. Are you alive? Give thanks. I have a house that I live in. I give thanks. I have an incredible wife. I give thanks. I have an incredible church and family. I give thanks. And eventually I get to the point where I get to the one thing that I can always give thanks for. Because here's the thing. Family can go. The church could go. Your job, your house, all of that could be taken away from you. There is one thing that cannot ever be taken away from you. Christ. That's it. He will always be there if you've accepted him. His word tells us he never leaves nor forsakes us. There is one person in all of scripture who knows what it is to be forsaken. And that's also Christ. He doesn't do it to us. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what struggles and tribulations you're going through. And I'm not saying they're not hard. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, well, you just need to be flippant about that. No, no, no. There are things in life that are incredibly difficult. I'm not trying to downplay those. What I am doing is upplaying, if that's a word, the fact that you have Christ. And oftentimes we forget that. We don't forget it up here in our heads, in our minds. We forget it in our hearts. When the bad things start to happen and they're piling on and piling on and piling on, we forget that we have Christ. And one day, all the bad stuff, it won't matter anymore. There won't be anything bad. One day, God wipes away the final tear and you're with him forever. So give thanks. Your whole demeanor changes when you remember that. And there are times, church, when you desperately need to remember that. We will all have dark days, dark moments, dark weeks, dark months. You might have dark years. God is still good. Christ is still your Savior. And that's what you give thanks for in all things. And then he ends it right, and he says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I'm going to say something that is incredibly countercultural. Are you ready for this? You don't matter. Everybody else does. The amount of times I have been asked or I have asked, my, asked this question myself, when do I worry about me? Mm. Does somebody else have a need? Here's the thing. And you might say, well, nobody else is worrying about me, so shouldn't I? If I'm worrying about you and you're worrying about me, don't worry, everybody gets worried for. We're all supposed to be helping each other. You are supposed to be subject to one another. I'm going to put this in a non-spiritual thing to try to help make this make sense. I told Maddie at one point when we got married that, listen, you're going to be part of nearly every sermon now. She didn't believe me. <laughs> I have also told her I can't wait till we have kids because then they will also be part of the sermons. 
and that'll also be great. One of the things that makes me laugh the most about my wife, but also frustrates me the most, is that I will say, honey, what do you want for dinner? And she'll go, I don't know, let me think about it. I go, okay. I ask her at like three o'clock. It is now five o'clock in the evening. I've gone past hungry. I'm now hangry. I'm mad because I'm hungry. And I go, honey, did you think about what you want for dinner? And she goes, oh no. And then she'll hit me with this one. Well, what do you want? Didn't ask that. I asked what you wanted for dinner. I'm the one that cooks, so I'm, I'm trying to be nice to you and make what you want. So answer the question. And we go back and forth. And the great, one of the greatest things about Maddie is that she is always thinking about everybody else. It's natural to her. And so she doesn't want to pick a place, one, because she's indecisive, but two, because she wants to make me happy as well. And I try to explain to her, honey, I'll just be happy if we're at a restaurant somewhere so that I can eat. Most of the time we get around and she finally picks something or tells me what she wants that night for dinner or something like that. You know, it's usually on Saturday nights we eat out somewhere because I don't want to cook because my brain is not in a space to do anything Saturday nights. Uh, and so usually that's when we would eat out. So, but she finally picks. But every once in a while, right, she knows that I love Chinese food. Let me rephrase that. I love American Chinese food. Buffets, takeout, mm, it's great stuff. I will go there every time. If somebody says, what do you want for dinner? I have two pat answers, Chinese food or pizza. Why would we need anything else in life? Those are all your major food groups. So every once in a while, right, like every one in four, one in five, she'll go, you know, I'm feeling Chinese tonight. And I know that she's not because she likes Chinese food, but not that much. She just goes, I know that's what he wants. So we're going to go there. And I ask her eight times on the way up to Binghamton, is this what you want? She goes, yep. Why? Because she's showing me deference there, just as I show her deference. We do the same thing with the TV remote. I hand it to her. I say, what do you want to watch? And she'll go, well, you can watch something. And I'll go, no, no, what do you want to watch? And then she'll put on, she doesn't love game shows. I do. I love trivia shows, right? Ken Jennings is my hero. For those of you that don't know, he's the winningest player in Jeopardy history. And she'll put something like that on, and I have to look at her and I go, Maddie, this is not what you want to watch. And she goes, well, no. And I said, so put on what you want to watch, which half the time ends up being The Office, which I don't understand the love for this show. I have watched every episode. There's maybe 10 funny episodes in the whole nine-season show but we watch it, and I enjoy it because that's what she wants to watch. These aren't spiritual things, right? What's on the TV, where we eat, it's not a spiritual thing, but it shows us how we're supposed to be with each other, with the other members of the body. You need something. So I need to put aside my needs to do it. I need something. You put aside your needs to do it. And then everybody's needs get met. That's the way it was supposed to go. We're not perfect. We're human, right? So we're not going to do it perfectly. That's where forgiveness and such comes in. I'm not talking about taking a rest day. Jesus did that. I'm not, taking about, I'm not talking about taking rest moments. I'm sorry. 
from 12 to 1 every weekday, I eat lunch with my wife. You can call me, I will not answer. I have told her, that hour is hers. And I protect it. Every once in a while, things change. Wednesdays, I'm not there, and that's fine. I don't mind doing that. She's, that's fine, too. But, so I should say, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's her day. That, not her day, her, her hour. Because that's her needs. And her needs are above yours. Sorry. To me. Sure to you, they're not, but to me. And there's not a thing that can't wait the 30 minutes. There are times when I've got to put aside the things that I want and need to get done because I go, nope, it's 12 o'clock. i got to go eat lunch. I have told my mom, who is also the admin of this church, who actually makes this building run, Mom, it's 11.59, I've got to go. Got to go home and, and eat lunch with my wife. I'll be back at 1 o'clock. And she understands. She's been a pastor for a long time, so I'm not... I'm not saying like I stand up and I pound my fist on the desk and be like, no, I'm leaving. She gets it. Showing deference to each other like that. There are times when that hour, I'm like, I could use that better. No, I couldn't. Somebody's needs above your own. I'm not saying that I don't like that hour too. I do. But that's what it means to be subject to one another. Put somebody else's needs above your own. Sometimes you need to take that little break, and I get that. You should have that time built in. I have one hour just about every weekday that I shut off from being a pastor. I'm a husband then. That's my rest time because as much as she sometimes will be like, I have to tell you about this phone call that I got. She works at the bank, right? I'm like, okay. I have to tell you about this. I don't mind listening to her complain for an hour. It's good because most of the stories are pretty funny anyway. That's my rest time right in the middle of the day so that I can do the rest second half of the day to the best of the abilities God has given me. Have a rest time, but put other people's needs above your own. That's the key. Put it all in the context of light versus dark. If you're in darkness, you don't do any of this stuff. Do what you want to, but you were made different. And this is what it looks like to be wise. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you, we love you. We thank you that we can walk as a wise person. We thank you that you don't leave us hanging. You don't just say, all right, you're in light now, be wise, and then you're like, I hope they figure it out. Thank you that you show us the way. Father, I ask that you would give us the strength to walk in it, and Father, I pray, and I know you will, that you forgive us when we don't. Father, I'm going to also pray right now for the food we're going to eat downstairs. I pray that you would bless it to our bodies. I pray you would bless our meeting, that it would go smoothly and well, that any conversation that needs to be had, discussion would happen, um, and that your will would be done here in New Milford and specifically today in First Baptist Church, New Milford. And Father, it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.